Welcome, everybody, to the new episode of the Truth and Reality Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Roman, reporting in the middle of nowhere. And today, ladies and gentlemen, it's April 29th. The NFL Draft is finally here for all those who've been waiting, all those who've been analyzing, all those who argue with fans and debate with fans and argue with analysts and what they think should happen and hoping that their team doesn't make some bogus mistake or crazy decision in terms of draft. Today's the NFL draft. Now, first, I don't think there's any draft that gets more mocked, mocked mock drafts or debated more than the NFL. I don't think anybody really sits there and debates the NHL or the Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, ladies and gentlemen, the players don't necessarily play right away. They never play right away. They never. It's like bare minimum that they're going to do at least three years in the minor leagues before we even hear who they, how they could potentially could be in the pros. They stay in the minors for three years. So the thing is, why do would any fan really analyze and debate uh, the, the MLB? I don't watch NHL, so I don't really know too much. And in basketball, ladies and gentlemen... You know, the basketball I have the biggest problems with in terms of of all the drafts because they do a lottery. And because they do a lottery, it doesn't mean that the team with the worst record could could necessarily get get that top pick. In the last couple of years the last twenty one years, the Cleveland Cavaliers have won it three times. Three times, ladies and gentlemen. There have been teams that were were within playoff hunt the playoff hunt, and they get a top draft pick. And long story short, that happens every year. But to the same some extent, second round, the players never do anything. It is very rare. The NBA doesn't really have a large amount of players who weren't drafted, who end up performing well. And long story short, the NHL, the NFL has a larger percentage of players who end up being an impact within the first year and for years to come. So let's get into it. So the NFL is the most interesting to me because of the possible the possibility of the fourth to seventh round draft picks becoming an All-Pro or Pro Bowl player. Or an undrafted player becoming a starter like James Robinson did last season. Last season, James Robinson was not drafted, ladies and gentlemen. He's a running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars, if you don't know. And last year, in the 14 games that I believe he played, he had about 10 touchdowns and went over 1,300 total yards. And he wasn't drafted. Every analyst, every scout, every team didn't see him worthy of being Drafted at all in any of the rounds. It took a chance, an opportunity, a chance for, for the Jaguars to basically say, okay, this guy looks intriguing. Let me take a chance on him. And he came in during the COVID pandemic because the COVID pandemic didn't allow rookies and others to have a normal training session. And even this upcoming training, training sessions that usually happen, the mini camps, the stuff that happened between now and late July and August, it's canceled. A lot of people are opting out. But long story short, this happens every year. There's always an undrafted guy who performs better than guys who are drafted. There are guys 
who were drafted fourth between fourth and the seventh round who performed better than the first round draft pick. It's just an intriguing, intriguing draft that I think most fans are just like clamoring over today and seeing what the team does. In this draft so far, the Ravens, the Jaguars, the Jets, and the Dolphins have at least two picks in the first round. Between the end of the season and the end of the Super Bowl until now, every mock draft looks different. Some players have moved up because of the pro day, because of the NFL combine, or because of more of an, uh, an investigation on the players. You know, right now, a guy like Mac per- uh, Mackay Persons is being looked at as a possibility of a guy who's moving down, even though he's considered probably one of the best linebackers coming out of the NFL draft in more than seven years. But because of a hazing incident that he did in high school, many people say he has character issues. But yet, he graduated in three years, and hazing is allowed in the NFL. If you really want to crack down and get angry at NFL players, either in high school and the pros, say that hazing is not is not allowed. You cannot do anything to the rookies. You cannot do anything to the freshmen or the sophomores in high school. It's widely accepted. Another player who's moving down, who with in the beginning of all these mock drafts was always considered a top 10, top 15 pick was Gregory Rosaro of Miami. Many people saw him as a one of the po- top best po- uh, pass rushers to come out of the NFL. NFL. He opted out last season with Miami, and many people thought that he was a, ch- a top guy. But then he became the prototypical guy who came into the pro day and who came into the NFL combine, and his numbers that he produced weren't great. He was slower than what normal people thought. Maybe he didn't bench press as good as he thought. Maybe he got heavier. Long story short, he has moved down. There's a possibility that he became, he's probably the guy who's moved down the most because he's gone from top 15, maybe bottom 30, to even a second round draft pick for most teams. As of right now, many experts have one cornerback, three wide receivers, one tight end, four quarterbacks, and at least one offensive lineman and potentially one linebacker to be drafted within the first 11 picks, first 11 to 10 picks. Now, I'm going to talk about my Giants. I don't really care about the other teams right now, but as of right now, I want to talk about the Giants. The Giants made some moves this offseason where we finally got our Plexio Boris. We finally got our number one wide receiver. We finally got a, a receiver that we've been longing to have since we traded Odell Beckham away. And we got a cornerback who everybody says is legitimately the best second uh, second cornerback lined up behind uh, James uh, Bradbury that the Giants could sign in terms of free agency. So the Giants went and got two needs. They got a wide receiver who's an upgrade over Golden Tate. They got a Dory Jackson who, in terms of the analytics and metrics and all those different scientific things that they do in today's age is considered, in the last 10 years, a top 10 cornerback in the NFL. 
So if that if that is the case, why are all these analysts, in my opinion, saying that the the, uh, the Giants should go after Waddell or Smith at the eleventh pick out of Alabama? If we upgraded our receiving with Kenny Galladay, with John Ross, with Rudolph, and with a healthy Saquon Barkley, why go after a wide receiver, ladies and gentlemen? Many team, many p- fans want the wide receiver because of the comparison. Sometimes you just tell, oh, this guy looks like Jerry Rice. This guy looks like Tyreek Hill or whoever. And fans get are automatically um, brought in and believing that this guy is the, a difference maker. But in my opinion, ladies and gentlemen, I think the pick that the Giants should get, because if you take, take a, a step aside, off of how the Giants offense was last season and take into consideration if you look at the linebacking crew every player was injured in the, in the linebacking crew for the Giants last year no one played outstanding compared to Blake Blake Martinez no one was even close Lorenzo Carter was considered an, a breakout linebacker in the NFL but he got hurt and before he got hurt he was never a pass rusher who could exceed five sacks. Since his time in the NFL and in Georgia, he never exceeded over five sacks. And besides him, there's nobody else. We added some players who could be good depth guys, but the truth is they don't have the numbers compared to Blake Martinez or to basically be a consistent star. We have a whole bunch of 6th and 7th guys who could potentially develop into something special in the long run. But in terms of a team that went 6-5 and five in the last 11 games of the season, who was easily, easily could have been in, uh, in the playoffs with a 7-9 record because they had a better win-loss division uh, record than the Redskins. I mean, the Redskins, than Washington. But we didn't. But long story short, we don't have that guy. And Makai Persons comes in, and he's automatically the second-best linebacker. And right now, with Blake Martinez being the best linebacker, he can't get hurt. He hasn't gotten hurt in the last couple of seasons. But the truth is, if he gets hurt, the Giants don't have anybody. And what's the reality? They're vulnerable. And once opposing teams see the vulnerability in a defense— they get, they feel, they gain a confidence of some kind of level. They feel positive that they could do something special because a certain player is not there with his leadership, with his talent, with his ability to see that it's a pass or run or what have you. So to me, Makai Pers- it should be Makai Persons. A lot of people want Waddell. A lot of people are saying Smith. A lot of people are doubting that the New York Giants offense is an improvement any kind of level. You know, last season, they only scored about 280 points, but you have to put it into one factor. Now, Barkley did not play for 14 games. In his career so far, he's averaged at least 10 to 12 touchdowns. You add him on, and you're saying that a a player like him himself is going to add 60 to 72 points just with him, just him alone. Not adding what maybe Ross, what Kyle Rudolph could do, what Kenny Galladay could do. Not adding what they can potentially do. Well, a lot of teams, a lot of fans, and then had this big debate on Monday and Tuesday, feel right now 
that the Giants need a wide receiver, that those guys aren't enough, and that even if they do are on the team, since they are, and they, are, they are on the team, that the offense still won't improve, and we need that young guy. You know, to me, Devontae Smith is a special talent that is really, people have been compared him to Marvin Harrison that played for the Indianapolis Colts. But I, 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 the compar- true comparison I see him connected to is Deshaun Jackson, a skinny, fast wide receiver with special talent who is going to give you a lot of good, yard, good yardage in receiving. But because of his size, he's going to get hurt a lot because guys who are 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 40 pounds and, more f- and, and physical will hurt him. And does he have the physical ability to, to fight for a tackle, to do those things, being that he's so skinny? I don't know. But, you know, and if, the, if anybody, if without, with the, all the signings that the Giants have made, that's supposed to be a difference maker between Kenny Galladay and Adore Jackson. I'm iffy on Adore Jackson. Why? 2019, he allowed over 65% of passes thrown his way. In 2020, in about three to five games, coming back from an injury, he gave up about 80%, over 80% of passes thrown his way. And this is a guy who we're supposed to get excited about. Maybe the results that he, he had the last two seasons is the results of the scheme that he uh, that Mike Verbal had on the Titans. Because you got to remember, two years ago, about in 2018, I think it was the coach was named Mike Malarkey, and that was Odori Jackson's best season. In 2018, he allowed less than 60% of balls thrown his way which made him elite in terms of 2018. But in 2019, he gave up 66%. 66% is not a great number for a guy who you want to be either your first cornerback or your second or even your third. With your third, maybe you can live, you're okay with it, depending on on uh, how he executes third downs and so forth. But long story short, that doesn't that's, doesn't excite me about Odori Jackson, and actually, if you say that say that this is what he's shown the last two seasons, is he worth the thirteen million dollars that he's going to get from the Giants? Is he a marquee name? Right now, he looks mediocre until he shows me that he's a special talent that could do the things that he did in twenty eighteen and what uh, scouts and analysts and all these people thought he was in two uh, thousand eighteen when he came out of USC. Until then, he's an iffy to me. And, and, and because of that, I will be okay for the New York Giants to get Patrick Tan or to get Horn. It wouldn't be a horrible idea. It's insurance. It's depth. It's getting ready to see, his, to see that Odori Jackson is not capable of being a second cornerback behind James Bearberry. So it wouldn't be a horrible idea. Would I necessarily do it? No, but I wouldn't be angry if the Giants thought about it. And recently, Peter King said in, in, the, organiz- in the Giants organization that Jace Horn is liked b- by many people in the organization. Now, he didn't uh, say, is it the coaches? Is it the other executives? If it's the owner? He only really said that people in the organization like Jace Horn. Some people say, well, if the Giants went for cornerback, 
it would be the whole Alabama connection because Joe Judge just loves that Patriot and Alabama connection. He's in love. He's infatuated by it. So I wouldn't be bad, bad, uh, angry at that idea. Another guy that's out there that the Giants could select, and I'm not saying to select him, but he fills a need, is Rashawn Slater. Rashawn Slater is one of those guys, and it seems like with all these offensive linemen, it's like two positions. It's never just one position. It's like, okay, this guy could play tackle, but he also could play guard. Oh, he could play center. No, he can also play guard. Rashawn Slater was a left tackle. Some have said he could even be a guard and, and, and be a, an elite guard right away. You know, right now, because of Andrew Thomas and because of Eric Flowers and others that we have uh, drafted within the last three to five uh, drafts, none of them have developed into a marquee name or pro or, 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 pro, or pro Bowl player. And actually, one of them we got rid of, Eric Flowers. He went to Washington, ladies and gentlemen. And under Callahan, he actually performed decent for Washington, where he was a decent left guard. Not tackle that he was drafted out of Miami, but a decent guard. Last season, he went to Miami. A couple of days ago, he got drafted back. Not drafted. He got traded to Washington to be a left guard. Last season, he was 32 out of 60-something, 64 about 60, 62 um, guards last season. And these, you know, Andrew Thomas left tackle. He was supposed to be a right tackle. They were supposed to leave Nate Solder left tackle in the 2020 season. But because of COVID, Solder sat out last uh, this past season. And Andrew Thomas had to be the left tackle. And while in the beginning he did not look great, second half he looked better. But... Guys like Willis and Trinston, I'm saying I'm probably saying his name wrong. Refs and roofs of uh, the Buccaneers both performed better than Andrew Thomas, who was drafted before both of them. But many analysts also said before the draft was that this guy maybe autom- wouldn't automatically be the best tackle in the draft class, but he could develop into the best tackle within the next couple of years. So maybe the Giants are hoping that he develops in, into that. But as of right now, a lot of Giant fans don't, if it's anything you don't mention to a Giants fan right now for the first round draft pick, is don't mention an offensive lineman. Don't do it. Even though we need it, don't mention, don't even say a peep. The idea that we say is is, uh, is the epitome of, I, I think this is a perfect analogy. You know, some of people have fr- uh, friends who date people, who have a trend of dating the same kind of people over and over again and getting the same results over and over again. So when a new guy comes around or a new girl comes around, or new for this situation, a new player comes around, we automatically think that they're automatically going to perform bad. We automatically think that they're not going to be the ideal uh, relationship, boyfriend-girlfriend material. So we tell our friend, or we tell, or we want our organization to not draft that guy, so that we, or person, so that we're not disappointed again. And right now, we've been disappointed so much with offensive linemen through the draft that the idea of going back to another offensive lineman in this upcoming draft is crazy. It is crazy. But. To continue on, it just, that's crazy. So the reason 
getting narrowing back and getting circling back uh, to where I was before I mentioned these uh, these names. I like persons. Joe Judge supposedly likes Devontae Smith. Like I mentioned a couple minutes ago, some people in the organization like Chase Horn. And Gettleman, like me, likes Mikai Persons. Big Blue United likes Mikai Persons. End of the day, the end of the, end of the day, the end of the draft would have, have would have already started, and the results would be in, and who the Giants and who the other teams drafted. Some players would would, would fall, and anything could happen. Anything could happen between now and and eight o'clock, ladies and gentlemen. There could be a trade right now that because some of these teams need a quarterback of the future, some teams may sneak in and make a trade for one of these uh, rookie quarterbacks that are going to be available in this draft. Some players, some teams may want to move up to get one of these wide receivers who's supposed to be instant difference makers in year one. We may see a guy in Chris Sims former quarterback of the Buccaneers and son Phil Sims says that Justin Fields is going to slip all the way to the 32nd pick. That's his prediction. While others have said Justin Fields is definitely a top 10 pick. And any team between the Falcons and maybe even the 49ers are looking at him. But long story short, to end this whole NFL charade that I was I've been talking about. It's interesting. Anything can happen. Seven rounds, undrafted, undrafted college players who who end up being better than any drafted uh, any player that was drafted is is so exciting. I don't know if it, what it does for anybody else, but for me, it's anxiety because my Giants, you know, going backtrack a little bit. Signed Victor Cruz, who was an undrafted wide receiver who ended up looking like a potential Hall of Famer before he got hurt. But again, undrafted. It's not not all undrafted guys become great stars. But the idea that that's a possibility, you don't hear that in the NBA. You don't hear a guy who's not drafted in the first and second round be better than a guy who was drafted first or in the first round or the second round. You don't hear that. You don't hear that in baseball. Baseball is... It's such an odd, uh, you know, not an odd thing, but it's something that, you know, it's like a, it's a comparison to food. The food didn't have all the ingredients yet, so we're not ready to serve and cook the food yet. But you know once you get the ingredients and once you have, have all the ingredients and cook it, it's going to be great. That's, that's, what, that's what Major League Baseball is, you know. The guy's not going to be good right away. Give him three or five years. Hopefully the coaches and... And what he does in the offseason works for him. And maybe he comes up sooner than later rather than five years or six years. But that's baseball. But long story short, tonight, 8 p.m., you could probably watch it on NFL Network and you could probably watch it on ESPN. The draft will start. It's gonna be, the draft will be between today at 8 o'clock and Saturday afternoon. Our teams are either going to make amazing moves or they're going to make bogus moves. A lot of us are going to look at some moves and, say, and scratch our heads and say completely horrible moves because every analyst said or every all film said don't draft a guy at that position and yet you drafted him and either works out or it doesn't. 
But tonight, ladies and gentlemen, 8 o'clock, NFL Network, ESPN, NFL Draft. We will put to sleep all these mock drafts, and we will start analyzing, did our team make the right move? On to the NBA. Less than 10 games left in the season. Now, any other season in the NBA, and I wouldn't be watching. Why? Seeing the moves that the Nets have made and seeing the moves that the Lakers have made, I think every analyst, every person who's, who's just watching the, the NBA right now has basically predicted Lakers-Nets. Lakers-Nets in the NBA championship. Both Lakers and Nets have had injuries. James Harden has not played all the games that he, he, uh, with the Nets. Irving has missed games. Durant has missed games. James has missed the most time in his whole career. Uh, Antonio da- um, Anthony Davis missed an extended time. But the funny thing is, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I've talked to friends and other people, and some of you probably agree with me, that it's kind of funny. In a co- watch all those players who haven't been healthy the last two or three seasons, two or three seasons, the last two or two or three months, automatically become healthy. Automatically become healthy and don't miss a game in the playoffs and ultimately lead the, their team into the into the playoffs. I mean, into the NBA championship. It's just funny. But the reason why I'm watching the NBA and the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm even going to watch the playoffs even more than one game and a complete game, hopefully, depending if I work or not, is because my New York Knicks on the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference, a team that wasn't predicted to even be in the playoffs, a team that maybe some people thought maybe they could get the A spot, maybe. But the idea that they're the fourth seed, the idea that they have a winning record, a first winning record they've had in over seven years, ladies and gentlemen, the last 21 years, or 20 seasons, the New York Knicks have had about maybe two Going on three, so three out of 17 years. I mean, three out of 20 years. That's 6%. 6%, which means 94% of the time, and I'm sorry, I'm doing my math wrong. That's uh, 81% of the time, the Knicks have missed the playoffs and missed the opportunity to be over 500. But this season, and I went to a game yesterday and they beat the Chicago Bulls. My first game that I've gone to in the NBA since Kobe Bryant died. I went that Sunday that Kobe Bryant died, and I was debating it because I was sick. But because Kobe Bryant died and I saw that my temperature was was better than it was in the morning, I went to the evening game. But long story short, my Knicks are the fourth seed. What are they going to do? I don't know. But it's interesting. Let's talk about something else in the Eastern Conference. Pacers and Wizards are still in, the, still in the race for the eighth spot. Wizards just had a, a, a six or seven game win streak. You know, with Russell Westbrook and, and, Brand, and uh, Bradley Beal, you know, everybody thought that they could have been good, could have been good, and now they're showing that the chemistry was there. This is the one team that missed games in the beginning of the season because of COVID. Um, but long story short, they're st- still in it. Pacers start when they made the trade made the three-team trade with Houston and with the Nets that uh, Carl Levert would be healthy and it would have changed the outcome of the win-loss record, but he had a scare and where he missed a significant amount of games. 
and the trade did not fall into his favor. Actually, out of the three-team trade, that three-team trade that took James Harden from Houston to the Nets, Victor Oladipo to... Actually, it was a four-team trade. Excuse me. Yeah, Cleveland was a part of that. But long story short, the only team that benefited from that whole trade was the Nets. They're the only team that improved and has a winning record after the trade was made. But those teams are still in it. So getting back to my Knicks. So now that they improved, have one of the best defenses in the league, Julius Randle, I'm sorry, I'm going to be biased right now, and I don't care. Julius Randle should be MVP. The idea of what he's doing this year, no one predicted it to do it, him to do it. And I know there's other players who you put on that list of great players, but Julius Randle has played almost every game. He's logged the most game. He's having a career year. You can't tell me just because a guy's getting two more assists, two more points, and two more rebounds, that automatically makes him a better MVP candidate. I don't think so. Julius Randle is not only the best player on the Knicks, but he's probably one of the main reasons why the Knicks are even in a playoff uh, in the playoffs uh, right now. So he's my MVP. I, 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 you know, if he doesn't get it, I'll be disappointed. But he had one hell of a season. Tom Thibodeau, come on, Tom Thibodeau. This is his third time being head coach. No one knows what he was going to do. When he was in Minnesota, he was not successful as he wanted to be. And he was uh, gone very quickly. And Minnesota is still trying to find a winning formula, and they still haven't found it. But long story short, Tom Thibodeau should be the coach of the year, in my opinion. Steve Nash may, be, may get a lot of votes. But come on, you have all that talent. I don't think there's one head coach in the NBA who have had all those players, Durant, Irving, Blake Griffin, James Harden, all those guys, and not have a winning record, not be in a number one seed? Come on. But Tom Thibodeau has basically taken a team that wasn't predicted to, to be a fourth seed, not predicted to maybe even have be an eighth seed, a team that was, again, striking out and getting a marquee, an elite name in the NBA to recruit them into uh, to the Knicks. And now they're winning. Now we have a chance to go in the fourth seed and probably host uh, the Atlanta Hawks in the playoffs in the first round. And no matter what happens, Tom Thibodeau did an outstanding job and much better than these other guys who, who, are, who will probably be in that list. Now going to the... Um, now the Western Conference. Now, the Western Conference is funny. Right now, Cur Steph Curry is having an unbelievable stretch with threes and what he's doing with the Warriors. But the Warriors are not even in the playoffs. They're, out they're a team on the outside looking in. Right now, the Grizzlies are ahead of them. And as of right now, in order for the Warriors to actually make the playoffs, the Warriors have to win the next six games. And even that could be tricky because they need the baseball gods to fall, to, you know, to do things into their favor in the sense that the Grizzlies just have to play horrible the next, next 10 games or less. But it'll be interesting to see what the Warriors did. It's interest, it will be very interesting to see what Curry could do in the playoffs. Last season, with him being hurt and Thompson not being there, Draymond Green missing a certain amount of games and 
playing the first season without Kevin Durant, the Warriors weren't a great team. Now this season, they're not as good as they were a couple seasons ago, but they're better than last year, and they have a chance and opportunity to be in the playoffs. We'll see what they do the next 10 games. We know that if Klay Thompson had been healthy this whole season, or at least 60 games this season, that the the win-loss record would definitely improve. And again, Warrior fans are anxiously waiting for the following season because two seasons in a row, Klay Thompson has missed because of a torn ACL. But as of right now, playoffs is, is funny. You know, right now with Davis missing the games he did and LeBron missing the games he did, right now, the LA Lakers, the NBA champions of 2020, are a fifth seed. But are they really a fifth seed? Or are they really a number one team if everyone was healthy? And yes, ladies and gentlemen, they definitely would have been a, a number one seed if LeBron played the whole season and Davis did too. Because those are two extraordinary talents. So they're going to be an interesting under... You can't even make them an underdog. But if they finish the season today, they will be a fifth seed. Which means if they go deep into the playoffs and the first round, they will not play, not be the home team. And I mean the home team that if best of seven, they're not going to get four games at home. They'll probably only get three. Most likely only get three. But it's interesting. It's crunch time. Any team could probably blow it now within the next 10 games, and any team could all of a sudden gain momentum and carry it over to the playoffs. Any team. But it's going to be interesting to see, ladies and gentlemen, what the next teams, next 10 games will unfold for the majority of these teams. Hey, next week when I have another episode of the Truth and Rally podcast, yours truly will talk about if a team slipped, if a team that was in the AFC is now outside the playoffs, and the team that was outside the playoffs are in the playoffs. Now on to MLB, ladies and gentlemen. April only has a couple more days to go. MLB has been interesting. In American League East, the Red Sox are outperforming the Yankees, the Rays, and Blue Jays. No one ha would have predicted that because of what the Red Yankees, Rays, and Blue Jays did last season. But yes, ladies and gentlemen, the Red Sox even with Alex Cora back, is outperforming the Yankees, the Rays, and Blue Jays. Again, first first month of the season, and there's still multiple games that in the season for anything to, to happen. We'll see what happens. Again, ladies and gentlemen, let me just talk about the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays, ladies and gentlemen, are proving me right. And what do I mean by that? Well, they didn't add pitching. If you listen to my prediction of MLB, uh, a few episodes ago, you know, I thought that they didn't add enough pitching. But then the, one of the things that I talked about was the third base and, and catcher position. And ladies and gentlemen, if you go and look at the offense that the catchers are producing for the Blue Jays, it's below 220. They're hitting below 220. That's not even good. You can't, I, I don't care if the guy is superb defensively. The idea that in a lineup, a guy's hitting below 220, and he get and he makes catchers, not catchers, he makes opposing teams feel confident when they see him. They're not even scared of him, the catchers. They're not even scared of the third baseman. Both are hitting on the 220. They're not even scared. But they didn't want to add a better hitting catcher or a better hitting third baseman. They wanted to add George Springer. Ladies and gentlemen, he just got activated. So he hasn't even con contrib contributed at all. But 
long story short, it is the beginning of the season, and we'll see what happens in the next month for the American League East. We'll see if the Red Sox can sustain their lead in the division. Will the Yankees' bats wake up, and will I be proven wrong about the Blue Jays? Off to the American League cent- uh, Central. The Royals are outperforming the Twins in Chicago, both teams that were over 500, both teams that made it to the playoffs. Twins are playing right now like a last-place team. Chicago's playing borderline 500, while the Royals are over 500. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I said in my MLB preview that I thought the Royals were an improved team. You know, I don't know how long, how much longer they can sustain what they've been, been able to do good. But long story short, we'll see. We'll see if the Twins can wake up from the grave. We'll see if Chicago can improve. We'll see if the Indians can do something special. Off to the American League West. Now, an an interesting team in the American League West is the A's. The A's, ladies and gentlemen, started one and seven. One and seven. With 154 games left. In baseball, there's no crime. You know why? Because there's always an opportunity and chance to fix things. And ladies and gentlemen, 16 games after going 1-7, and seven, they had over a 10-game win streak and are now 14-2 and two in the last 16 games. No one could have predicted that. But the A's do that. Because uh, in the last 20 years, they had a 20-game win streak. They're a team that I, I, don't, I don't know what the statistics are, what the list is in rankings of the most win streaks, the highest win streaks of each season. But I guarantee that A's are always there. They're always a team that wins at least seven games or more in terms of a win streak. They're always there. Three games is nothing. When you win seven games, ten games or more, it's, it's just like, oh my God, they're unstoppable. But long story short, they're performing well. Performing well. You know, Seattle right now is, is, is over 500. I don't know how long they're gonna, that, that's going to sustain, how long they're going to hold that. But as of right now, that is the American League East. Off to the NL East in the National League. The New York Mets have one of the best pitching in the major leagues, and yet, ladies and gentlemen, the offense sucks. They weren't predicted to have a bad offense, but ladies and gentlemen, they've had a bad offense. Besides having a bad offense, maybe the idea that they've had seven games postponed because of weather and because of COVID, that could have stopped something. You know, they're the only team that that has seen have had most the most games canceled. In April. In April alone, seven games was canceled. But they're in first place. You know, right now, the Phillies are looking like they need starters. They're putting Spencer Howard into the rotation. You know, the, the, what I thought was going to happen with them is, is starting to happen with them. Atlanta Braves aren't playing as great as they, everyone thought. Washington isn't isn't not playing as good. All the team, I, I really, ladies and gentlemen, I seriously thought that every team in the National League would be border would be five hundred or better. But as of right now, every team in the National League East is under five hundred. 
But like I said before, it's just the beginning. This is not the ending of the season. Anything can happen. You know, this, for most teams, for most players, and listen, it, they had a routine their whole career. And then the pandemic happened. And that routine just killed everything. You know, it killed everything for all these players. It killed the routine. It killed the way you went to offseason, the way you approached things. Some players run, run off the energy of fans. And some, um, some stadiums haven't allowed all the fans to be back yet. But long story short, that's the National League. We'll see what happens within the next, next month. In the next month, the Mets will get their Carlos Carrasco back, the guy who they acquired in the Francis Lindier uh, trade, hoping that he, he was, he's another guy. He's like, like the idea that we don't even have Carlos Carrasco back and Noah Syndergaard makes the Mets pretty scary because the idea that they're right where they are now and you add those two names into the rotation, it just makes them even scarier, you know? Having a rotation where maybe every guy is going to average six innings or more in every start, it just, it is, it's going to help them in September. That's, you always want a strong rotation. Why, ladies and gentlemen? Because in September, you never want to be that team that had a bullpen that got tired in September. A guy who pitched way too much in early in the season. Then September came, and because he pitched in way too many games, he couldn't perform up to his talent level when September came around. And he blew games because he couldn't perform up to the level. That's why you need a rotation, and the Giants are in place to be that kind of team. Off to the National League Central. While the Brewers are leading the division, the Patriots have my eye. Not Patriots, excuse me. The Pirates, to me, are the story of the division. Why? Because if you look who they added in the offseason, which was nobody, you look at who they traded away, no one would have said that they would have anything close to a five-game win streak or even be one game over 500. No one would have predicted that. But because, yes, this, this is only the beginning and you don't want to you know, jump, jump on the bandwagon yet or anything like that, Derek Shelton has done a great job with the Pirates. Even, even if at the end of the season, they, lose about, they win about 75 to 78 games, he still outperformed what all talent evaluators, all scouts, all these baseball experts on MLB Network and Baseball Tonight and wherever else thought they were going to be. Ladies and gentlemen, it's just April, late April. So the truth is, it's just the beginning. And the reality is, it could be a totally, completely different month for the Pirates in May. Off to the National League West. The Dodgers are still dominating the division. They're still the marquee team of the National League. The Padres who was supposed to be a team right at the same level as the Dodgers, or even better in some people's eyes, or in fourth place, which is a shocker. But like I said, it's still just the beginning. One thing the Padres have right now similar to the Mets is even with all the talent that they have, 
the offense is not top five. And the offense could be more or less the reason why their record is where it is and why they're in fourth, fourth place. Anyway, I'd like to say again, I'm very anxious, very curious right now, ladies and gentlemen, because tonight, like I said before, it's the NFL draft. So on that note, I'm your host, Anthony Roman. This is the Truth and Reality Podcast. Have a great day and even better night.